Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test? The nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture? Welcome to another 
Everyday Life series on decoding how God thinks about work, money, business, investing, and leadership. Biblical principles from Genesis to Revelation. It's under our Everyday Life category. You can find the full list of topics we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. In our first series of decoding, we looked at decoding creation, God's thought processes and patterns through creation from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we arrived at a 10 principle combination that will revolutionize how you think. In this next series of decoding, we'll look at how God thinks about work, money, business, investing, and leadership through the life and story of Joseph, also from the book of Genesis. Joseph's life changed the course of Israel. It was through him that God preserved the nation of Israel. Israel wasn't yet a nation per se. It was just a family of 12 siblings. The letter grew into the nation of Israel in Egypt. Some of the life principles we'll cover in this decoding series are our upbringing and past shouldn't define us. Knowing your purpose and calling is the best anchor to go through the storms of life. In life, we need favor and love with both God and man. There are no coincidences in life. God's justice system never fails. We'll also look at work and service, money, and how the economy of Egypt was built from the ground up. We'll also look at investing, saving, leadership, and management. Without further ado, welcome to Decoding Joseph. Welcome back to episode two of Decoding Joseph. 
we are decoding how God thinks about work, money, business, investing, and leadership through the story of Joseph. In episode one, we looked at Joseph's background. We went through a little bit about his background. We are introduced to Joseph when he is about 17 years old. His father loves him. His father's expressed that by giving him a coat of many colors. Now, his father would daily send him to his brothers to figure out, okay, what are they doing? This and that. And then we also noticed that he would come back and give a bad report. He would come back and report to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. So we did try to discern and say it must have been some kind of, uh, you know, maybe they weren't being loyal to the work they were doing. They weren't doing it the way they had been instructed to do it. Um, they could have been selling off some flock on the side to make money on the side. So we, we start to see the character of this guy. And we also looked at the fact that his brothers did not like him, but things kind of took a, a nasty turn or a darker turn when Joseph had these two dreams that he came and, and, and told his brothers, he, he told them, uh, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundles stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before mine. And then his brothers responded and said, uh, so you think he'll be our king? Do you? Do you actually think he will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. That was the first dream that he had. Then soon he had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. So this time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. And his father scolded him and said, what kind of dream is that? Will you, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? So... While his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered about those dreams. So then we looked at how Joseph is then sent. One day, one day his father says, hey, go check on the boys, go check on your brothers. And, you know, as his brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance and they made a plan. They made plans to kill him. They said, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father that the wild animal has eaten him. And so... One of his brothers called Reuben kind of suggests a different plan. Says, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let us just throw him into an empty cistern. And then he will die without any of us laying a hand on him. And then as they're doing this, a caravan of Ishmaelites is coming across them. They're seated down, they're eating. And a, a caravan of camels in the distance approaches them. And it's a group of Ishmaelites who are coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and mar, and they are on their way down to Egypt to trade. So his brothers decided instead of killing him, um, let us sell him off to those Ishmaelites. Now they sell him off as a slave, and so 
Then they also kill a young goat and dip Joseph's robe. They, they tear it up. They dip his robe into uh, this blood. It's very interesting that uh, if something like this happened today, you would only just need to test the blood, do some DNA and find out, listen, this is not even his blood. This is blood from an animal. So, but unfortunately for Joseph's father, they didn't have DNA testing back then. So uh, they sent a message back to their father with the robe torn up and dipped in blood. And, and he, he was crying and he was saying, yes, surely this is my son's robe. A wild animal has eaten him up and torn him to pieces. So while his father is out there crying and mourning for his son, the Midianites arrive in Egypt and then they sell Joseph to Potiphar. Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh who is the king of Egypt. So Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Now, what's really interesting is that the next uh, timeline or the next story that we do have about Joseph is, is basically starts telling us how he succeeded in his master's house. It was impeccable because it says uh, Potiphar, he sold to Potiphar. Uh, so he's working there as a slave. And but it says the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So some of the translations say the Lord was with Joseph. He was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, it also goes on to say, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper. Now, it's also very interesting because um, Joseph is succeeding. You know, he had, he had success in everything he did. Then on top of that, he goes on to say, this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. Now, so he goes from being a servant to succeeding to being a personal attendant, meaning, okay, now I want you to report directly to me. You've gone from just being the guy that hands off the thing to the guy who reports to me. Now you are my personal attendant. You are reporting directly to me. So he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Check that out. So from the day that Joseph, so now he's gone from being just anybody to being a somebody. And now Potiphar saying, I want you to attend to my duties, basically become my right hand man. So he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. And then goes on to say, from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. Then Joseph is elevated to a higher status. Says, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. Now it's gone from, okay, you're the one who, who is a direct report to me. Basically, now you are in charge. You are in charge of everything that I own. Hmm. Says with Joseph there, Potiphar didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat.
So that's that's the backstory that we have here. But for me, I, I I thought that it would bear some significance for us to say, how did someone go from he's been betrayed, he's now been sold off as a slave, he's now working in a lower state, he's he's in his master's house, he's no longer daddy's favorite boy or mommy's favorite girl or daddy's favorite girl or mommy's favorite boy. He's now at the bottom of the rank. Where does someone, how is someone able to rise from the bottom of the rank and just keep on winning and doing superbly and just really excelling in everything that he is doing? There must have been some kind of character or attitude that just kept on driving this guy. For me, when I'm trying to discern this, when I'm trying to decode what happened between from when he's 17, loved, sold off, slave, working, to the point where Potiphar's met him, giving him administrative authority. Man, I'm, I'm thinking and saying, there's clearly an attitude and strength and will to overcome his childhood and past and trauma that we see throughout Joseph's story as we shall tread along. So many things happened to Joseph that he had nothing to do with. Life dealt him some big blows. And somehow his attitude was always, I will not let this define me. I will not let this define me. So we started to dive into this whole thing about character, about being, having this mindset of, I may not have started at the same point as you. That yes, maybe you you maybe you started ten meters ahead of me. Maybe you started ten kilometers ahead of me. But I am still going to run my distance. There seems to be an attitude towards not going to let his past determine or determine what, what how things unfold in his future. Joseph is clearly looking past. He's he's somehow managed to 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 master up this mental fortitude to overcome all of these things. That hey, I was sold off as a slave. I was betrayed. I was raped. I was abused as a child. I was uh, racially biased. I was bullied in high school. I was this was this is all this is all of this has happened to me, but they, but Joseph is not wearing it as an emblem. He's not wearing it as a necklace. He's not wearing it as a badge of honor and saying, "Oh, this is who I am." No, 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 no. He's saying God has given me a vision that one day I am going to become something important. I am going to become something of value. I'm going to have impact on this world. So that is where I'm going to focus. That I'm going to let that pull me ahead. I'm going to let that help me to overcome and not keep carrying what has happened in my past as baggage into my future. I think for some reason, we always think that there is a badge of honor in carrying your past with you. And we, we feel that we we have to tell everybody every day everybody every person that we meet we, we have to keep we carry this hand luggage of everything bad that we have done that has happened to us in our past 
and we keep on carrying it everywhere. You start a new job and you're carrying this, this baggage and, and you're saying, oh, uh, at my last job, my boss didn't like me. At my last job, my, me and my employees, they used to say this about me. And you're messing up your new beginnings, even at this new job. You're already getting people to think, man, maybe those people were right. You know, you're showing up at a new work. You're showing up at a new opportunity. You are showing up in a new relationship. And the first thing you're doing is regurgitating everything that wrong went on in your last relationship. Oh, in my last relationship, me and my girlfriend, uh, we used to argue about this. You are already sabotaging the future you have with this new person because you, you just keep on bringing baggage from your past into your future. I don't know who this is for, but this is real. You, 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 you're graduating into high school, you, you've started college, you've started a new program, and the first thing you're saying, in my last class, oh my last, in, in the last, my last class, I, I always struggled with this. You keep on reminding yourself of the bad things about you, of the, of the shortcomings that you've dealt with. You know, you go on a new date. You know, this girl's excited to see you. This, this guy is excited to see you. And the first thing you're ushering in is a scent, is this aroma of everything wrong that has happened in your past. This seems to be an attitude that Joseph had that moved beyond that. You see, we, we are talking about how God, you know, decoding how God thinks through about work, money, business, investing, and leadership. It, it, this applies. Your attitude that you carry around about your about your past it affects your future. Yesterday, your thoughts about yesterday, your experiences from yesterday, they will affect your today if you are not if you if you're not intentional about not just carrying over baggage from yesterday, baggage from last week, baggage from last month, baggage from last year. This stuff is real. And not to make this a, a ratio um, a, a segment or whatever, but I feel this bears mentioning. I do feel that uh, most of the times that uh, one of the reasons, let's say you look at uh, countries like South Africa, countries like Rwanda, countries like the United States, countries that have really gone through uh, a bad history of segregation and discrimination, you have... Uh, you know, black people, or it doesn't, or you look at all these other countries, they are still carrying this baggage of their past and history. They cannot move into the future. You have to get out of this. You have to get out of, you have to realize that, yes, it happened, but that cannot be my identity. You have to move beyond that. It cannot be your identity. You cannot conquer your future with your identity of the past. It's impossible. If you carry your identity of the past into today, the only difference between today and yesterday is just a change on the date on the calendar.
if you're just scaring all your baggage from your last relationship, your shortcomings, maybe you didn't, you didn't take out your girlfriend enough. Maybe you didn't take out your spouse enough. Maybe you didn't have planned sweet, nice little dates for them. Maybe you didn't help them. Maybe you didn't encourage them. Okay, yes. Now, just take that information as feedback and ignore all the side effects of that. Come into this new relationship and begin afresh. Because I think, like, I am not, I'm not, a, I'm not black American. You see, I grew up in Uganda. So I've never really, uh, my experience with discrimination, um, I don't have that identity. It helps me. I, I don't have that identity that, oh, I was discriminated against. Uh, I grew up in a country with racial bias. No. So. I've never really experienced uh, racial bias in Canada. And even if I travel to a country where there's racial bias, I would treat it differently because it's not embedded in my identity. Like if I went into a place, let's say if I'm in the US, if I'm in America and someone, let's say, racially discriminated against me, it doesn't affect me as much because it does not open up old wounds of discrimination. Now, I'm lucky that I did not grow up in that. I grew up in a country, Uganda. And so I didn't have to worry about that. But you see, what, what I'm trying to share is that every time you carry this old identity, you cannot make exploits like Joseph. If Joseph had stayed in that mindset, I was betrayed by my, by my brothers. They hated me. My goodness, do you really want to? Wow, they really hated me all those lives. They sold me off as a slave. Now I'm here working as a slave. I'm at the bottom of the rank. My life sucks. If that was his attitude, there is no way we would be reading about someone that became the second in command that became the administrator of everything that Potiphar had that was now successful, there is no way. And I think there's a lot of people who are just tied to some old identities and you need to just let it go. You need to say, okay, I was hurt in the past. Yes, I went through uh, racial abuse. I was discriminated against. I was bullied against. My husband cheated on me but you don't carry that identity into the next relationship. That's not how you win. I was molested as a child. Yes, honey, we understand it is painful, but honey, we want a beautiful future for you. We don't want you to sabotage your, your relationships with your husband, your intimacy with your husband, your intimacy, your relationships with men around you because of this identity. That's where the power of God comes in. It, it sets you free. It breaks you free from these bondages. You let go of your old identity. We, 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 we will talk about this later on. But you let go. It helps you to let go of your old identity. And you pick up a new identity. And you say, I'm going to start new. I'm going to, today is a brand new day. This is the day that the Lord has made. So I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it.
we have to understand this. So for me, that encourages me when I say, how does this guy go from being loved, being a slave, being a servant, to being rising to the top, to the highest rank in his master's house? He must have had this attitude of, I will not let my past define me. And I've personally been trying to keep on doing that every day and saying, I don't care if maybe I failed a class in the past. That's not going to define how I think about my smartness or my, my intellect. I don't care if, um, you know, at a certain point, I was not the smartest kid in class. I do not care. I am not carrying that as my future identity because we all grow. All of us grow up. We all evolve. So I'm not going to keep carrying around this identity of where I came up short in my past and, and keep on thinking that that's going to define my future. No, I've decided to let it go. I've stopped looking at where I began. I've stopped looking and said, oh, you know, I was not born in the wealthiest family. I was not born in, in, uh, into into a royal family. I was not born into an elite of the elites. I, like you have to let go of all those things because it will drain today of its energy. It will drain you of what you are able to do today. So I just want to encourage you that this is the attitude that you should have. We are trying to really decode the kind of character and attitude and competency and heart posture that Joseph had from when, from what we read from, from the time he was 17 years old to being sold in slavery to all of a sudden becoming the administrator of his master's house. It says he succeeded in everything he did and his master was just like, wow, like this guy, I need this guy to take control of everything. I need him to be in charge. You see, I know a lot of you, many of us want to do great things with our lives. I know that you want to live a life of significance. I know that you want to live a life of purpose and meaning and impact. We all do. We All of us, we want that. No one wants to leave this planet and just having been a, a just like a, just like, just nothing. You know what I mean? Like everybody wants, by the time they check out, by the time their sunset, by the time the sun sets in their lives, by the time their curtains are drawn, that you really feel that you left, you put a fingerprint on this earth in any way that you had impact on someone. All of us desire this. But what I'm learning through this story of Joseph is you can either do it the world's way and bump your head against every wall on the way up or on the way forward, or you can do it through God's way by choosing a heart posture that's appealing to him. That's kind of where we left off in episode one. And let us talk about this because I really feel that this is very, very, very important. 
yesterday, I mean, in the, in episode one, we were talking about, we kind of ended on this note that, you know, God's about the heart. Like when God's looking for people to do business with, to enter partnership with, for people to bless, he looks at the heart posture. So Joseph had a very good heart posture. And I think that's why the scripture keeps on saying, and the Lord was with Joseph. It goes as far as to say that, yeah, it says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything. Wow. Then it goes on to say that from the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar, not because of Potiphar, but the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. That would be like you turning up at this company and they just hired you. And all of a sudden, because of your presence there, because of one man, one woman in that company whose heart posture is right with God, the Lord blesses your company. The Lord helps your company to dominate its market space. Like new business starts to come in. I mean, because of you, you don't even have to be the boss. You don't even have to be the owner. You don't even have to be the CEO. You don't have to be the manager. But whatever position you hold, because of you, business starts to boom. We're talking about doing things in a supernatural way where you get out of like low-level staff, impact, influence type stuff, and God starts to move a company forward because of you. God starts to change a city because of you. God starts to change a country because of you. We have seen this happen in scripture. God changed the laws of Babylon because of the three Hebrew boys. Then God changed the laws again of Babylon because of Daniel. We, we, we will see in Joseph's story how God changed the whole economy of a country because of Joseph. We see this happening over and over and over and over again. But for me, this seems to be a common underlying factor that I keep on seeing it being repeated and repeated and repeated. And it seems to be the people who have a good heart posture are the people that God is looking to partner with and do some big things in this world. God is about the heart. God is about the heart. God will take a slave with a good heart and rise him up the ranks to prominence. And he will not do the same with a Harvard graduate or with someone from an elite background whose heart is full of pride, envy, jealousy, regret, condemnation, because when God is looking to do business, when he wants to throw in all his chips, he goes for the heart. When God is at the table baiting, when he, he's at a baiting table and, and people are baiting, oh, oh, that person is beautiful. Oh, that person is 6'5". Oh, that person is skinny. Oh, that person is handsome. Oh, that person went to Harvard. Oh, that person is, is the president's son. Oh, that person is this and that. God looks around and says, I'm going to bet on this person to go farther.
because they have a good heart. Uh, this, this, is, this is who I want to partner with. This is who I want to do big things with. That's how God does business. That is how God does business. He looks at the heart of man. So that's what we're talking about. And uh, we're just going to kind of just, you know, just continue building upon this subject of heart posture. Because I think it's very important. I think all the, all the things that Joseph goes on to do from just becoming the administrator of Potiphar's house to becoming actually almost like the second in command now over a whole country, becoming the president. He almost be, he, basically he became vice president further on down the, down the line. He became the king's basically second in command. The king, the president gave him all authority over the whole country. But everything from him to get from where we, we are first introduced to him started out with this guy having a good heart posture. So I want us to not just ignore the importance of this subject because it is key. You know, it affects our work. It affects our money habits. It affects how we do business. It affects how we invest. It affects leadership. It affects all of these five areas. The heart posture that we have causes God to move differently in us in all of these areas. So we have to look at Joseph's heart posture as the foundation that propelled him to what we are reading about. It was his heart. Joseph was a slave boy who God rose, God rose through the ranks to being the overseer of Potiphar, of a Potiphar's house and even in jail when he was falsely accused. You will see that come uh, in, a, in a probably in a few episodes. God still made him the overseer in prison. See, he was framed, falsely accused, ended up in prison. And God still made him the overseer in prison over other inmates. And then God took him out of prison gave him favor and love, great ideas when he came before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at that time. And in one moment, in his meeting with Pharaoh, in his first meeting with Pharaoh. Now, I don't know if that was all, whether that all happened in one day, but this is what I know. All of that happened in his first encounter. It was probably, you know, from the moment he got out of prison, to being the second in command, it was probably in just a couple of days. Because I'm sure they got to know each other more. And he explained to Pharaoh everything that had happened to him, you know, why he, he ended up in prison and this and that. And then, of course, he gave Pharaoh a strategy and he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. But all of that. We, it, it's because of this guy who had a good heart posture, who wasn't always looking at his background, at, at, the, at the bad things that, ha that had happened to him. So uh, another thing that bears mentioning is God will use a non-believer, someone who doesn't even, who's not a Christian, someone who doesn't believe in him per se, 
God will use a person if they have a good heart before he will use a Christian with a bad heart attitude. So if you have two people and one of them says, hey, I believe in God, yada, yada, yada. Another says, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really believe, you know, maybe, I don't know. And you have two people like that, but this other person has a good heart posture. And for you, you, you claim to be a Christian and you've got a heart full of envy, jealousy, regret, malice, condemnation, discrimination. God will use the other person. That's just the way God does business. He looks at the heart. We, we, we're going to see it in, in just a few minutes here. That's just the way God does business. So if you want to do great things in your life, if you have a desire to rise to any ranks, or if you want to impact people's lives, if you want God to do it through you, if basically you want to do things to a magnitude, if you want to have God do things, because you can live two kind of lives. You can live a life whereby you live a life according to your own magnitude. Basically, you come up with your own plan and say, okay, I believe this is the plan of my life without consulting God. And you can get to do some nice things, but to ultimately fulfill the plan of God's life in your life, God's plan for your life, which will always be a hundred times, a thousand times better than your own plan for your own, for your own life. In order to tap into the plan that God has purposed for your life, which is far better than your own plan for your own life, you are going to have to um, almost like inhabit, nurture a good heart posture. God is not against you being great. God is not against you having influence in the world, impacting the world. Listen, the, the world's got enough problems. The world has enough problems for everyone to, take, to pick up a problem and, and we'll still have some problems left over. So there's enough problems to go around for all of us. We have a lot of problems. So God is not against you solving problems. Whether, you're, whether you solving a problem makes you appear on the news or in the tabloids or on TV or on the radio, God's not against that. Because scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good and perfect gift, everything we appreciate, your favorite tennis player, your favorite basketball player, your favorite uh, movie actor or whatever, those are gifts that are given to people by God. Now, those people might use them to do things that don't glorify God. That's another thing. But every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from the Father. However, God will only do all of that through you effortlessly if you just surrender your heart posture. You see, Joseph didn't have the most affluent background. Joseph wasn't the most knowledgeable or smartest, but Joseph had a good heart posture. He knew what was right from wrong. You know, he was troubled when he would go out to deal with his brothers, to, to check, to do flock, to, to, to graze the flocks. With, with, to, you know, with his brothers, he would come back. Why would he come back oftentimes and report the bad things? 
because they troubled him. It was not an environment that he was okay with. Joseph was not okay with cutting deals at work. Joseph was not okay with running a government that cuts backdoor deals and yet tells its citizens, do this and do that. But at the back, is they're, they're cutting deals and then they come on TV and say, oh, oh we, we, we are holding you to this standard. So every time Joseph came back, he reported those things. Joseph was not okay with those things. They did not sit well in his heart. You see, how to tell your heart posture is if these evil things happening around you, things that are, are not being done with integrity and character, but you are okay with them. That shows God that you do not have the right heart. If you're part of cutting backdoor deals as, as, as a politician, if you're in law enforcement and you are discriminating against people in, in, in the manner in which you pull them over and all of that. You see, God looks at the heart of man. If And if you're in an environment where wrong things keep happening and you won't speak up, you are, uh, what do they call it? You are a, you are guilty by association. You see, Joseph was not content with just being in an environment where wrong things happened. He had to mention it to someone. He mentioned it to his father. So we all know when these feelings of envy, discrimination, jealousy, victimhood, mindset, when all of these pop up inside of us, that we start to be judgmental and condemn other people and judge them, that's when we should shut them down. From the moment you start to feel any kind of way like that, just be like, uh-uh, this is, yesterday we were talking, I mean, in the first episode, we were talking about little foxes spoiling the vine. I like the scripture. It's from, it's from Solomon, Solomon's uh, chapter two, Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse um, 25. It's very powerful. It says, catch, it says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. In, a, in other places it says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. Little foxes spoil the vine. You cannot afford to be in the, to, to even inhabit any of these little foxes. They spoil the vineyard of your blessing. We're talking about how God can do big things through your work, your money, your business, your investing, and your leadership. Trust me, uh, the, the scripture says, when the enemy comes in, then it says, like a flood, God will raise up a standard. So when, when false vaccines, let's just say if false vaccines come in, God is going to look, God wants to work through some doctors with good hearts, with truth to build actual, actual, actual good vaccines that have no side effects. 
when the economy is crashing, God is saying, okay, God comes and says, I want my people to prosper. That's what the scripture says. The scripture says he takes pleasure in your prosperity. And God has always blessed people throughout throughout scripture. So when when there is poverty, God, God says, I want to, like a flood, I want to raise up a standard. I want to do partnership with you to come up with some in, like genius ideas, ways to solve problems that the world has never seen. I want to do it through you, but I can only do it through you if you have a good heart. When there's a sickness, when there's disease, that doctors are struggling. So God says, I want who 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 is here? Who's here that has a good heart posture? I'm gonna make you the best doctor, the best scientist, the best physician, the best surgeon that the world has ever seen. I want to do that with you. I I actually, you know what's really funny is that one time I said, I was talking to God and I said, and said, son. If the people would stop worshiping Michael Jordan, I would give them another Michael Jordan. I'm, listen, to this day, that statement still makes me go, whoa. You see, every time we, we see an athlete come on the scene or a movie actor, you name it, and we appreciate what they're doing, but we get to a point where we idolize them, where we start to worship them. That's why you see that we go so many years without ever seeing an athlete that rises even better than a Michael Jordan, so to say. I'm just using Michael Jordan because I think a lot of people would probably know who Michael Jordan. But the reason the world has not seen the next Michael Jordan or someone who is even way, way better than Michael Jordan is because heart posture. It's because the heart posture of people who love basketball is they're busy worshiping Michael Jordan. God is not against Michael Jordan. God gave Michael Jordan his gift. Michael Jordan grew up in a prayer family. Go, go read upon him. His mama used to take him to church. Like his mama is a prayerful mama. And you can clearly see that Michael had some humility uh, in his earlier years before he became the Michael Jordan. You can see that it disturbed him even in moments when people were starting to worship him. So God is looking at the heart of all basketball fans and saying, you, you people still saying here, oh, there'll never be another Michael Jordan. Oh, there'll never be another LeBron James. Oh, there'll never be another Kobe. He's like, guys. If you really think there can never be another Michael Jordan, you're basically saying that God's creative power in terms of athletic gifts ended with Michael Jordan. It's impossible. Come on. There is a ch child. Listen, listen to me, son. If you're listening to this and you have an intention to play basketball, go make allegiance. Go make a play. Uh, go make a pledge to God, he can make you the next Michael Jordan, way better than Michael Jordan. God can make someone that we've never seen do things that we have never seen Michael Jordan do. God told me that, I was so shocked. 
I, I have some awesome conversations with God. I'm like, whoa, because I love sports. I like sports. I shouldn't say I love it. I like it. Love is a very strong word. I love the Lord God. I love his people. Everything else I like. I like a good car. Maybe I like a good house. I don't love it. I don't love food. I like food. Um, I've decided to pledge my allegiance of love to God only and his people. It says, love the Lord your God and love your brethren. Everything else it says, you can like. Anyways, um, so we're having this conversation and, and, and I was just saying, I was watching basketball and I was like, Lord, I really feel like these, I don't believe when people say there'll never be another Michael Jordan. He said, son, of course they will. Of course they're just ignorant. He says, the problem is because they're worshiping the first sign of a Michael Jordan that I gave them. So now they're holding me back. I am limited to make another athlete greater than Michael Jordan because the heart of all sports fans will be to now bow down to this guy. So we are limiting the power of God that he can do what he can do through another athlete because we are bowing down to the first Michael Jordan he sent us. So God backs off. He's okay. I'll just let you. I'll just let the first Michael Jordan be the best that you have ever seen. But if there ever comes a day when you as sports people realize that it is all, all these gifts come from me, I give people talents and gifts, then I will raise up another Michael Jordan. Come on. God can do this stuff. So the point is, God is not against doing big things in the world. Trust me. All the bad things that we see happening in the world right now, it's because of Satan. Satan is, is the author of, of discourse, of, of, of hatred, of people driving cars off the street into different people groups, of terrorism, of sickness or disease. God is not behind these things. But you see, the problem is we limit God from working to change the universe God can only do us through, through, through us. But the problem is that, you see, God, if God stopped using his number one criteria, which is working with the heart of man, he would be violating his word. And God would rather see a whole generation go through, let's say maybe we may not arrive at the best vaccine to deal with COVID, or we may never arrive at the best you know, medication that can completely eradicate AIDS or cure cancer or do these things. Unfortunately for us, we may never arrive to that point because we do not have anyone. We do not have a doctor that has, that has fully submitted, that has a right heart posture. You see, there might be a doctor, a scientist uh, who's gifted in these things, but God will never rise them up to the highest level of innovation of medicine and science because they just don't have the right posture. First of all, they don't even believe that God exists. So that already God is like, okay, you think you created you? You, you think you, you can move the needle of this universe by your own intellect? And God just backs off. Again, when our heart posture becomes in doctors and not that God uses doctors to, to give us the best medicines and cures, 
We limit God from doing great things through our work, money, business, investing, and leadership. We do. We do. And that's why you can see that you can have the most money, let's say in Silicon Valley, where which is the innovation hub, tech hub of the whole world, and you can have the biggest concentration of billionaires in one area, the biggest capital um, that you can, you know, the biggest amounts of capital in one area funding all this innovation. And then two blocks down, three blocks down the street, you have the worst homelessness, drug abuse, and all of that. Just three, three blocks? That shows you that that is not someone that is being used by God. Because you see, God looks at the heart of man. You see, if God was using that person specifically, there's no way someone with a hot posture, like the hot posture that God desires from us, would drive past three blocks, a group of people drive past three blocks of the worst homelessness, the worst drug addiction, the worst human conditions, and enter into the doors of a company that is valued at $20 billion. For me, that just shows why is that happen? Why would, why would that picture even happen? Why would you have uh, three doors down, three blocks, in some cases it's three doors down, have a company valued at $20 billion or $10 billion and another one valued at $100 billion and another one valued at $15 billion. Why? How could you have that and then three doors down or three blocks down? You have the worst homelessness. You have sickness. I mean, you have um, drug addiction. How can you have those two pictures in the same vicinity? It's because the heart of God has, is not operating through some of those people. That's how you end up with that. It's about the heart. It's about the heart of man. That shows you that the heart of that person is not postured correctly. To them, the valuation of their business could go from one billion to ten billion to twenty billion to a hundred billion dollars, and the condition next door, three doors down the street, three blocks down the street, will get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's like stepping over a pile of you know what every day instead of picking it up. This is how the universe operates from God's perspective. He's not against basketball. He's not against doctors. He's not against scientists. He's not, he's not against chess. He's not against actors. But 
God looks on the heart of man. That's who he partners with. So if you see stuff like that scenario I just explained of seeing all of this happening in Silicon Valley and next door you have the worst homelessness, uh, drug addiction and all of that, just know that the people in the building haven't partnered with God. Because if their heart of hearts was really, if they were really doing this through partnership with God, that situation three doors down the street would not be happening. No way, Jose. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. I don't care how you want to talk about it. I don't care if you say it's legislation. I don't care if you say it's the mayor's job. I don't care if you say this or that. It wouldn't happen. All I'm trying to say is that if we partner with God, who partners with the hearts of men, our world will be a much, much, much better, better, better and different place. So you can either attend every networking event and try to make everyone know who you are, customize your LinkedIn, all your social media profiles, post the best pictures, the best captions so that people can find you and do all the things that human intellect will tell you to do, or you can apply one of God's principles, a good heart posture. And God will miraculously bring the people you need to know and partner with you in your life. God will bring you divine encounters at the grocery store, at the gym, as you are in the coffee line at Starbucks, at the gas station. God can orchestrate divine networking events on your behalf. You just sit back, reposture your heart, and let God do magnificent, wonderful things through you. Before you try to apply makeup on your personality, you can try to apply makeup on your personality, uh, on, on, on the outward appearance, on, 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 your, on your social media, on your resume, all of that. And yet you are rotten on the inside. You will never be able to be elevated to the point where you are significantly having an impact. Ask yourself, we have all the smart people. We have the money is there. We have all this. How come our problems are getting worse and worse and worse? It's because we have a lot of people doing things who are not in partnership with God. They are just not in partnership with God. And yet, we see a guy called Joseph, and he says, from the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. The God started to change the economy of your business, the revenue of your business, because you, the CEO, you, the founder, decided, I'm just going to have a good heart. I'm going to treat my employees better. I'm going to take care of the people who are who are three doors down the street from my business. It is not okay for us to come into this building worth uh, this amount of money 
We've got air conditioning. We've got food that we're throwing out. And yet these three people down the street, they're hustling. They're struggling. They're homeless. They're fighting for their lives. They're, they're, they're being decimated by drugs. And you just drive past that. God will cause, if you take care of that, if you look at that and that makes your heart cry, God will bless your business for the sake of your heart posture. It happens. This is what we're talking about. This is the stuff that we cannot ignore. We can't. We can't ignore this stuff. These are, these are the golden nuggets on how God can do great things through us. God can do great things through our work, money, business, investing, and leadership. All those areas of our lives. But these are the golden nuggets. We do not want to be self-defeating. How sad and ignorant and unwise and foolish of us to keep on being self-sabotaging. I mean... Sabotage from the outside is one thing, but to self-sabotage? I am done with self-sabotage. I will not self-sabotage. It is stupidity to the highest degree. Do not be self-defeating. We're talking about how God does business through the heart. That's how you get to elevate in your work, money, business, investing, and leadership. How you start to hit home runs. By partnering with God, and God partners with the heart of man. That's his only requirement. The other stuff is, 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 is not a showstopper to God. But your heart posture is the primary criteria of if God will partner with you to do great things in your life. We know this how. We will keep on. Um, I will expound on this in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in. See you in episode three. This was episode two of Decoding How God Thinks About Work, Money, Business, Investing, and Leadership through the life and story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. In the next episode, we'll continue building upon this principle of a good heart posture as a requirement to be used by God to do exploits on this planet. We have to keep reminding ourselves that whenever God wants to do something exceptional, whatever the magnitude is, He looks at the heart of man. Your host for today was Calvin Cabanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode. Everybody wants a blessing, but do you know who to bless it all? Everybody wants a blessing. Always oh, God bless. Yeah, yeah, I hold the mic like a memory, and I pray for my enemies. Yeah, yeah, I even do it on bended knees with both eyes closed. Now that's some vulnerability. My memoir will be written in balls with beats knocking so hard it got you seeing stars. 
In the heavens is where my possessions are Take what I have, I got more in the reservoir Don't store treasures where moth and rust get them Bitten by the snake but immune to the venom Might look a little worn like a pair of washed denim I've been washed by the crusher of the devil Coming like a thief and the score gets settled The Lord is my shepherd, I sleep in green meadows uh, Peacemaker, fighting for fake gates of hell won't prevail, be patient and wait What? Yeah, cause everybody wants a blessing but do you know who the blessed are? Everybody wants a blessing. But do you know who the blessed are? One time it's like this, yeah. Born again and I'm mourn over sin. Not just what's in the world, but also what's within. So poor in spirit, I can't make amends. Yet the Lord says that I'm blessed. I follow the man of sorrows in a land of bravado With a hottie curse God with the breath that they borrow I seek first his kingdom, not anxious for tomorrow But I know hope deferred is a hard pill to swallow Thirsty for righteousness, it's so dry in this desert Desperate voices crying out in the wilderness We will find what we seek and the earth will be inherited by the meek Yeah, yeah, the narrow road can be lonely But I could be lowly without saying woe is me Even when persecutors wrong you Remember what kingdom you belong to Yeah, cause everybody wants a blessing But do you know who the blessed are? Everybody wants a blessing But do you know who the blessed are? He said unto them But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God.